Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. At Car Advice, we always say, push the dealer to give you a 24-hour test drive. Now, I know that's going to be harder if you're younger. I understand that but maybe take your parents along if you can or a relative if your parents aren't available because what that allows you to do is it allows you to take the vehicle home. Does it fit in your garage? Does it get up your driveway? Can you put your golf bag in the back if you play golf? If you water ski or if you you know go to the gym, does your gym bag fit in it? If you carry your mates around to and from work, have they got enough room in the second row? All those little things and then also test driving it on roads that you drive every day. So, you know, we all live in Sydney. The Sydney road network is absolute rubbish, right? So if you buy a sports car that's got really firm suspension and you've got to go banging and crashing over awful roads every day to and from work, you might hate your life not long after you buy the car. So always push for a 24-hour test drive. Um, And I think the other one that a lot of people don't think of is servicing costs. So factor that in. When, now we're in a situation where most manufacturers give you cap price servicing. So factor that in. If you know that for the first five years it's going to cost you X amount per year, you add that to the price of the car. Don't. If you've got $25,000 to spend, don't spend $25,001 on the car and then have no money left to service it for that first year. Always leave a little bit in reserve. Before we get into this episode today with Trent Nikolic from caradvice.com.au, just wanted to jump in and have a shout out to our new show partner. Who are they, John? Sun Super. Sun Super. You know know when you buy a a, a red car, you you start to see red cars everywhere? Oh, you've seen Sun Super everywhere. I've seen them around, seen them around. Yeah. You? No. No. (laughs) Well, I mean, sure. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. Seen them everywhere. But, um, you know, they've got strong and competitive investment performance. Their balanced option has beaten the industry average over one, three, five, seven, and 10 years. And that was a source from Super Ratings. That'll do me. Yeah. So it wasn't them saying that. It was someone else. So solid performance, good uh, competitive fee structure. Yeah. Hey, not telling you to use them. I'm telling you to consider them when you are reviewing your superannuation needs. Yeah. Remember, not financial advice. Put them in the mix. Show partner. Yeah, just put them in the mix. Yeah. But while I say that, yeah. uh, isn't this meant to be independent, non-biased approach to... Uh, I never really ever claim that. I'm making yeah. an infotainment podcast. Yeah, okay. And I don't work for free, neither do you. Yeah. And our editor needs to be paid. Yeah. Uh, but I will say... We get pitched daily Yes, with different products and services. Yeah. So there's a bit of due diligence that goes into our show partners. Yeah. Uh, and not, a lot of them are trash. Not our show partners, but like... No, the ones that pitch to us, right? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. it's just irrelevant. Yes. I mean, don't pitch to me a retirement thing. Like, yeah. Because we've got our average listeners is age 27. So yeah. I just want to say like... It is a quality product. They do sponsor this podcast. It's a free world yeah. and it just helps us bring the content to not charge people for that. Yeah, and then probably 
if I can say this, it allows us to go up another level, doesn't it? Yeah, and that's it. And so next year, we're going to just, we're ramping up education content, yeah. like turning it up to 11. Quality, quality of um, people, guests are going to rise another level if that's possible. If that's possible. Yeah. Not sure. Unfortunately, the hosts, they'll stay the same. Yeah. Re- remember when we did the census when someone's like, what do you want to hear less of? And they're like, Glenn. <laughs> Pretty hard. Turn, turn the volume down. So thanks, SunSuper, our show partner, for partnering with My Millennial Money. Now let's get back into this episode. Do this. We're with Trent Nikolic. He's the managing editor from caradvice.com.au and they're basically the leading car review website authority in Australia. You'll see and hear Trent and his colleagues on the Today Show, Weekend Today, across the Macquarie Radio Network. Basically, they're the go-to for the media when they want to know about cars. How many cars do you test drive a month? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a tough one. Look, I'd go through, I'd probably drive up to five cars a week. Yeah. Different cars a week. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, Quite easily. Yeah. You know your way around the steering wheel, let's say. Yeah. I do. Now, straight into it, Mm. we both met on when we were both on segments on the Your Money TV show. That's right. At that time, Mm. I think your life was blowing up because it was pre-election and and Bill Shorten uh, basically was mandating that every Tom, Dick and Harry will have an electric car in two years. I'm being over the top here. So I want to talk about... 2030, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about electric vehicles. Mm. So you're in the car world. When do you think they'll actually be the norm? It was pretty timely, actually, because I just came back from overseas. I was test driving the Porsche Taycan, which is their electric oh, vehicle. Yeah. And, and oh, I've, we've been saying at Car Advice for a long time that the whole landscape would change when the mainstream manufacturers started building electric cars. So Tesla, you know, obviously Tesla is Tesla and everybody thinks Elon Musk is the messiah. But the problem is with him, for example, a lot of people say, hey, Elon, can you just start delivering cars that people have paid money for? And he says, oh, look over here, I've just launched a rocket. And, and your you, company's just had a $1 billion loss last year. Exactly. So they still haven't made a cent on a car. What you'll find with the mainstream manufacturers and where it'll change and when you're asking how quickly it'll change, it'll change when it gets to the point that it can actually be profitable for them. So obviously Porsche's at the higher end of the, the purchasing spectrum. Our listeners here are probably, you know, if they're looking at an electric vehicle, it'd be something like a Nissan Leaf, which is just under 50000 drive away. There's a Hyundai Ioniq, which is about $40,000. And then there's a Hyundai Kona in there as well in that mid 40 grand price bracket. People will be looking at those a lot more because they're realistic. I think what needs to happen is a convergence of two things. The, the range of the vehicles has to be realistic. Now, yes, we don't drive 500 kilometres a day. We all know that. But we still have a car that has the capability of doing that with a full tank of fuel. We need that kind of range out of an electric vehicle. We also need to be able to charge them quicker. Now, I won't bore your listeners to sleep with all the different facts and figures, but what I will tell you is that all things being equal, in a best-case scenario, the Porsche that we drove overseas, you can charge it, as we did, from about 20% up to 85% in about 25 minutes. Wow. Now, that's a lot quicker than what we're used to. The problem is the charging network in Australia won't have access to that speed for some time. You won't be able to do it at home in your garage. Do you need 20 amps at home or 10? No, well, that's the other thing too. See, what a lot of people think of when they talk about electric cars, and your listeners will be thinking this now, they think the the point that I plug my toaster or my vacuum cleaner into (laughs) is how I charge the car. Sure, that'll take you 36 hours with a Tesla Model S. 
If it's at 10%, it'll take you forever to get it back up. So what you actually need, and this is we're talking about factoring in money when you're spending money on cars, you're going to need to factor in about two, two and a half thousand dollars on top of your vehicle purchase to have a proper charge box installed at home. Now, what that'll do is that'll charge the car in about eight hours overnight right. if it's down at 20%. Get home, in the driveway, plug it in. Next morning, it's ready to go. The problem we're going to have is that the charging time needs to come right down, which has got to do with the battery capacities and the packs themselves and what they can accept. And I'll give you an example, which is pretty easy to understand. The chargers that we used for the Porsche drive, they will output, best case scenario, 350 kilowatts. The Taycan will only take in 270 kilowatts. So the battery pack yet can't charge at that full rate because it'll overheat and it's not good for longevity and what have you. So I think there's a few things that need to happen. But anybody who thinks they need to rush out and buy an electric car tomorrow, you don't need to be panicking. You can obviously think about it down the track and, and factor it into your planning, but I wouldn't be panic buying one in the next 12 months, for example. And would you say they've become more cost-effective over time as, as more models come out? That, that is such a tough question, mate, because we've had two sides of the story, right? Someone, someone said to me the other day, um, would increase demand or bring price down. Yep. And I waved my mobile phone in front of him and he said, what do you mean? I said, that's the most expensive iPhone I've ever bought. People are buying more of them than they ever have. Mm. Why isn't it 500 bucks? Yeah. Right? Because it's a racket. <laughs> <laughs> Apple, exactly. Look, it, that's a bit of a simplistic argument, but I don't necessarily think increased demand bring price, brings prices down. Dual cab utes, right? Top two selling vehicles yeah. in Australia, Hilux and Ranger. Yeah. They're more expensive than they've ever been. Yeah. The, the thing is, I don't know that demand will bring the price down. The other thing we can't seem to get the manufacturers to give us a matching answer on, like BMW will tell you one thing, Mercedes will tell you something else. The battery packs currently, as we know them now, are made up of a hell of a lot of exotic metals, you know, lithium and cobalt, things that you've got to dig out of the ground. The question is, the demand for gold goes up and the price goes up because it's scarce. Diamonds whatever it might be. These are effectively the building block version of those exotic stones and minerals, right? Now, BMW, they locked in the price of their lithium and cobalt supply about 18 months ago. They told us for the next 10 years, because they reckon the price will go up. They don't actually think it'll come down. And that's the concern. Maybe we change the way we do batteries. Maybe we look at battery technology. Maybe it gets cheaper to build the batteries if we use different materials to build them. Um, you know, like we're using lithium now, lithium iron instead of lead acid, for example, in battery packs in mobile phones and whatever else. So I, I just don't think that um, I just don't think that uh, it will get cheaper. Yeah. Just because the demand goes up. Okay. So last question before we move on from electric. Sure. Is uh, how long does how many Ks would you get out of the average charge? Yeah, so if you look at something that's affordable, um, so the Nissan Leaf uh, has about a 270-kilometre range. Um, the Hyundai Kona, which is their little SUV, that sort of has about a... It's up to, it's up to 400 Ks right. range in that one, which is a lot more uh, useful yeah. for a lot of people, a little bit more expensive. Um, Hyundai Ionic, again, it's down around that 270-kilometre range. Now, what I'd tell your listeners, if they're thinking about buying one... If you know your driving habits 99% of the time, that's fine. Yeah. Because with the Leaf, I, I, we had one as a long-termer, right? So we had it in the office for six months and we'd give it to people to commute with for certain blocks of time. I live 20 kilometers from our office. We're in North Sydney. I live in the inner west. Um, 
if I drive from home to the office and back, I can do that for a week basically yeah. without having to charge. I can also charge it at the office because we've got a wall box and I can plug it into a normal plug at home. So it's pretty much always charged at the end and the start yeah. of each day. It makes a lot of sense. But I think until the range is a genuine, say, 500 kilometres, you can't really recommend them to someone as their only vehicle. Yeah, and I think the in the electric vehicle world the conversation will actually start to change from kilometers to hours. Yeah. It's it's got to because that's kind of has to battery. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it actually yeah. doesn't matter how many kilometers, no. it's how many hours at normal driving conditions or extreme driving conditions. Yeah, and one one last one on that is it's very hard to measure, right? Because it's the same as fuel consumption figures. When you buy a car and they say it uses, yeah. you know, 5.7 liters. Yeah, that's cute. That's but... not going uphill <laughs> yeah. on a 40 degree day with five people in it and the air conditioning running, right? Now, an electric car, if you put it on a motorway at 110, with the aircon on on a really hot day, that 270k range might drop to 200 mm. potentially. So you need to be aware of that. John was just saying last question on electric vehicles. <laughs> you can I did, didn't know he was producing to. the show now. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> He's in charge. <laughs> yeah. He's in charge. I, I've just got a, a couple of other questions because it is a, a big topic with our listeners. I heard something the other day, and I don't know if it's just rubbish from the. There's a bit of that whatever movement yep. but they're saying if the fact that if I've got an electric vehicle I'm doing at the moment worse for the environment because I'm actually using more power at home to charge it overnight yeah look that's I, a I don't know if that's we don't even have to no. go there but I guess my question is <laughs> yeah. have you guys done any stats on fuel saving versus extra power bill mm. and if there is a net benefit or gain on balance over a 3 month period or basically something like that. right now in Australia if you're buying an electric car for environmental reasons, go and buy an efficient petrol vehicle, yeah. right? Because it just doesn't make any sense. Petrol over diesel? Yeah, petrol, probably an official petrol, an efficient petrol engine is probably better than diesel because diesel, they're, they're a dirtier fuel, yeah. they emit it a little bit more. Electric vehicles, and I won't go right deep into it, but electric vehicles, and I forget the exact number, it's more than 50%, but somewhere around 60% are more energy inefficient off the production line. So day one rolls off the production line. It's 60% more energy inefficient than a petrol vehicle, an equivalent one. The problem is you don't start reducing that percentage difference until you're using completely green energy to charge it. So if I live out in the country and I've got this massive solar array and I've got a couple of Tesla power walls and I'm... You're off the grid. And I'm off the grid and I'm charging it that way, that is awesome. I'd recommend everybody do that yeah, if we could. absolutely. Because it's yeah. great for the environment, right? But while ever you at home, when you turn your air conditioning on or you plug your toaster in, you can't dictate where your energy comes from and you don't know that it's green energy, we don't know, uh. right? And then the other thing, yeah, there's the cost. Because we haven't yet seen... At the moment, people are running around using superchargers and the NRMA's put one in for free and the RACV's put Good one in. Good advertising right, for them. Great advertising. And at the moment, they're charging their car for free. I'll tell you what will happen. If there's a petrol excise, right? So there's a tax on petrol that the government has pre-spent every year before they even get it. If 40%, and this is what we said with the shortened thing you mentioned, if 40% of the market, so that's 400,000 cars, are all of a sudden electric, where are they going to get that tax from? I guarantee you they'll get it off electricity. The government will look at it and go, you know what, everyone's charging their, their vehicles at home overnight off peak. Let's whack two, three, four cents, percent, whatever it might be, yeah. on top of their power bills. It's a complex web. They've got to get it yeah. from somewhere because yeah. they've factored it into their spending. Now, we all, we all want less tax, not more, clearly, because it just makes life mm. harder for everyone. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think the at the moment, 
if you can charge your car cheaply accessing a you know if you get free charging with a really expensive one or if you've got access to the motoring clubs charging network or whatever go for your life but if you're charging it every night at home and you mm. do a lot of driving it, it's going to cost you i would love a tesla i've probably got the money to get a tesla mm. but there's two reasons why mm-hmm. i'm not buying one tell me number one the charging thing mm-hmm. i you know i don't want to if i'm flat mm. what if i need to wait two hours somewhere to charge. I don't want Correct. to be stranded. Yep. Number two, my I've got long term, just looking in mm. at the longevity risks of actually the Tesla Motor Company, given that last year they have not made a profit they could yet. very well go under. And my view is exactly what you said, because somebody in the group asked this question. Jack said, yeah, what are your thoughts on the new generation hybrid and electrics mm. for reliability, blah, blah, blah. Yep. I basically were like, well, Exactly what you said. When the incumbents start nailing it, that's when it will start to change. Yeah. See, the hybrid. The thing with the hybrid is it's a known quantity. So Jack there that, that wrote into you, it's a known quantity. You want to go and buy a RAV4 hybrid or a Corolla hybrid, go for your life. Toyota's got more than 10 years, I think, now of Prius hybrids driving yeah. around on the road. They know exactly how the battery packs behave. They know how they interact. And what's really interesting is our mobile phones, 12 or 18 months in, they don't hold as much charge as they yeah. did when they were new. Now, that's fine when you spend 1000 bucks on something, but not if you spend 100000 bucks on something, if it only has 80% of the charge. So manufacturers say, oh, no, 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 don't worry about that. But then Tesla, for example, won't actually tell us if you use a supercharger every day. Yeah. They yeah, won't actually tell us what it does to the battery pack long term, right? So with pre, with uh, hybrids, it's a known quantity. Pure electric, we don't really know yet because we don't have enough data from cars being on the road. So how do hybrids charge? They charge themselves? Yeah, we, the easiest way for your listeners to understand it, we have... We've come up with this idea. I don't know if anyone else does it. I'm not claiming we invented it, but we have what we call full electric. Then we have what we call a plug-in hybrid. And then we have what we call a closed loop hybrid. So plug-in has X amount of electric range that it'll do, like 30 or 40 kilometers, and then it just shifts to a conventional engine. Those ones, you just plug them in at the wall, and because it's only 30 or 40 k's range, they don't take long to charge. Full electric is self-explanatory. Closed loop is exactly what you're asking. So there's an electric engine, and there's a petrol engine, and they just do their own thing and chop and change. So you might be crawling down outside your office here through the city, at 20 k's an hour, pure electric. Minute minute you put your foot down, the petrol engine kicks in. Or if it's a million degrees and the air yeah, comes on. Exactly, yeah, exactly. But you never actually physically plug it into anything. And to be honest, with the hybrid systems they have now, you have no clue what's doing what and how. Really? It's pretty seamless, yeah. You can actually, with the Toyotas, you can get a graph on the infotainment system that shows you what it's doing. Oh, yeah. So it tells you whether the engine is charging the pack, whether it's running on pure electric, whether yeah, it's feeding cool. it back. It's really clever. Mm. But hybrids are much, much less of a risk for a young buyer who's really careful about where their money's going because we know they're a known quantity, pretty much. Yeah. Okay, sweet. I want to swing back around today and just for five minutes, just to recap the insurances. Mm, Sure. Because we've all, if you've got a car, you've got insurance. Um, So I'll just recap and I'll just do it very fast. Go for it. And if I miss anything, both of you jump in. Before you register your car, before you go to the RMS or whatever you are in your state, you must have your CTP, which is compulsory third party. Yep. So the governments will not let you register your car without CTP. It's what we call a green slip. In New South Wales, green slip. Yep. I don't know where it is elsewhere, but mm. traditionally a green slip now. Less complicated <clears throat> everywhere else, by the way. Yes, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, New South Wales more painful than most. Right. Yeah. Mm. So basically, if you go and register your car tomorrow and don't get any other insurance, and if you have a crash, 
that green slip, this compulsory third party, will only cover damage to blood and bones, basically, your flesh. Other humans. Other humans yep. and yourself. So yep. the next one down the line is if you've got your car, there is what they call a third party insurance. Now, what that is, it covers the third party, not you. So you've got a $2,000 piece of crap that mm-hmm. you're driving around. We've all been there. Yeah, I, w- I would like one. I'd like <laughs> Some an, of us are still there I now. would like an AU Falcon, but I've got no room for it. I was going to say, there's um, already two in your garage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if I've got my heap of crap AU Falcon slash amazing car mm. and I've got third party insurance, I can hit a Lamborghini and the Lamborghini is covered. Correct. Okay. Yep. I can roll off the road and hit someone's private property and that's covered. Yep. If you don't have the third party insurance and you hit someone else or another person's property, very expensive. The insurance company will bankrupt you. Mm. Possibly. Mm. Okay. Yeah, so it could get very case. ugly. And compulsory third party, we'd only recommend if you've got me personally, I'd only recommend if you've got a cheap car like you said. Yeah, absolutely. So there, there will be a threshold where you would just take the risk mm-hmm. and do the third party. The next one, and it is, you know, the insurance is optional except for the green slip, but the next one is your comprehensive insurance. Yep. So that will cover the damage of your own car and other people's car and property. That's right. And look, if I could say, you know, your, your listeners are often starting out, they're young, they're new to this whole game. I know that comprehensive insurance is expensive. Mm -hmm. I I understand that. And I've felt the same pain that you'd all be feeling now. But it's like anything. It's like having a good credit rating. If you get in with a company and you get compulsory third party plus your full comprehensive, you end up with um, a really good record going forward. And you you won't feel it now if you're 20 or 21, but you will feel it when you're 30 or 31 uh, and you're getting the full no claim discount and you know, you're getting maximum benefits from your insurance agency because you've had good insurance for a long time. And this might seem obvious, but I meet some people who have only got third party, but the understanding is it doesn't cover their car. That's right. right. It covers everyone else everyone else's, in yeah. the event, but yep. it doesn't cover their car. That's yep. right. Yep. So just this morning on the Facebook group, Nikila, she uploaded a photo, Ooh, a little hurts. focus, oh. and she basically, and you're going to have a look in the photos there. Oh, that doesn't look good. She only had third-party damage. Now, she's only just starting out working 25 hours a week and yep. she needs a car. Someone said, well, your third-party damage if someone else hits you, hmm. their insurance cover will cover you, yeah. okay? But it, she was at fault, so uh, that's she, the problem. she's got a car that's written off. Now, that leads me, and because we're going to, in this episode, we're going to get to heaps of your questions, but I just need to set the scene with this basic stuff. I think we need to know when it's worth taking the risk on third-party damage and comprehensive insurance. Yeah, it's, for me, it's only if your car is a throwaway item. So, you know, we've all had $1,500, $2,000, $3,000 cars that you think to yourself, well, it's going to cost me 800 bucks a year to comprehensively insure it. So over three years, I'm going to pay back the value yeah. of the car, right? Yeah. So you don't insure it. You get your third party. If you run into someone else's car, they're covered, which is the right thing to do. Because let's be honest, leaving people in the lurch nah. with a damaged car that you're not affording yeah. to fix is bad. If you can't afford third party damage, and some insurers might do third party damage, and then they might do another one third party if your car gets stolen and theft, or yeah. burnt. Yep. Now, I would say if you can't afford third party 
the minimum third party, you can't afford a car. That's a good way of putting it. Real simple. Yeah, absolutely. Like because just it, yeah, straight absolutely. up. But I think if your car's over, you know, five, six, seven thousand dollar mark and up, I think you need comprehensive. Yeah, and I, I think it 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 goes back to your own risk tolerance does, and yeah. your financial position. So exactly what you said. I wrote this down ten years ago or more or whatever it was. I had a Mitsubishi Mirage. Mm-hmm. Okay, great car. I can't kill them. I used to I, see them everywhere back. I know. Then. I did burnouts to the point where there was smoke coming through the, the air conditioning vents. Like, I hammered it. Like, just <laughs> killed it. crazy. It just survived. Like, can't kill them. Dirty Mike had one. Drive it through uh, water. That kills them, but that's another yeah, that story. Now, it was worth $4,000. Correct, yep. The comprehensive insurance was $800 a year. That's right. Now, I took the risk. I'm like, well, life's full of risks. Yeah. I'm not going to put $800 a year into this car. I'll take the risk if I crash and it's written off, I've got to come up with another three grand. To buy another car, yeah. Because I've already put $1,000 into it yeah. for insurance, yeah. so technically. Now, I will say though, if you are starting out and your life's a mess financially, and that's not having a goal, you no, just could be the fact. No, it's not unusual, absolutely. And you do have a low-value car, it might be worth keeping the comprehensive just until you get on top of your financial life. Oh, that's a good point because then you won't be able to afford it. Exactly. And then one step further, you know why, John, I'm a fan of comprehensive insurance, even for smaller value items? Replacement. No. You tell me then. Hassle factor. I'll give you an example. I had a $4,500 motorbike. I didn't need to be insured. I know what you're about to say, yeah. With comprehensive insurance, if somebody hit me, right, and they were at fault, Mm. okay, if they weren't insured and I wasn't insured, it's between me and them yeah, to try yeah. and get money out of them. I had a lady hit the side of my door once of a car mm-hmm. at yeah. a roundabout. I was comprehensively insured, called NRMA, shout out NRMA. Yeah, I've been with NRMA yeah, for a while. I've, myself, yeah. I've for a million years. Mm. I called NRMA and they said, drop it here to get repaired. We'll take it from here. Yeah. For all we know, they could still be pursuing that woman exactly yeah so it's the hassle factor so the reason i took comprehensive insurance for my Mm. motorbike was if someone bumped into it and knocked it over Mm. and it was i can just call them and they would chase the money it's a really good point but you've got companies third-party companies now like not my fault that will um, pursue that on your behalf they won't pursue that on your half. They'll only give you a car and pursue the other person's insurance company to get the funding for the hire car so you're talking replacement as well as I'm talking repair everything a loan yep. vehicle if you're yep. entitled to it yeah yep. okay right. yep. so I'm I am pretty because I'm conservative by nature mm. I'm probably more bullish to have insurance well, because the thing is, I, mate, I don't like hassle in well, my life. The thing life. is, yeah, if you're yeah. not involved in the motor trade like we are at Car Advice, you don't know smash repairers and nah, people that true. can, you know, give you this and that. So you just want to make one phone call to an insurance agency and say, can you fix yeah, my it's car? It's definitely a hassle factor. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. So, yeah, you might yeah. have a cheaper car, but if it's only an extra $400 a year to get comprehensive on top of the third-party damage, yeah, all right, let's do it anyway. Yeah, yeah good point. Now, just a couple of things, how to get a lower price for your comprehensive insurance. Number one, you know, if you've got an emergency fund in place, maybe push the excess up from $600 mm. to 1000 and And shop around. And too, shop mate. around. Absolutely shop around. You might take the judgment call on the windscreen and hire car option. Yep. Again, hassle factor for me. I've always had those on the policy, but I've paid for it. Yep. Multi-policy discounts. I've got all my cars 
well, I've only got two. I sold my motorbike, but I had them and I think I've got my roadside membership with NRMA. So you get the packaging discounts. I've got five cars and five motorbikes insured with Shannon's. Yeah. yeah. Don't go there. I need therapy. But yeah. We will um, go there in the after yeah, party. I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> but uh, for the listeners there, I'm sitting in a room with um, with seven cars, right? And two people. And two right. people. Yeah. And, and the thing is, they're all insured with Shannon's. Yeah. And you do get a hefty discount when you bundle everything yeah. together. And Shannon's. Shannon's, yeah. Because yeah, a lot of mine are old. Right. Yeah. Classic vehicle. Like stuff. you, John. Like me. And loyalty bonus and no claim bonus. Yeah, 100%. With any, I don't care who you are, insurance company and time, those things together are your friend. Yep. And I know for a fact, if you've been a customer for 10 minutes and there's a curly thing where there could be a judgment call for a manager sitting at a desk, mm. if they go, this person's been a customer for 10 years, we'll help them out. Mm. I've seen it with yeah, insurance companies. 100%. Mm. Yep. So for me, I personally don't do a lot of shopping on my policies. Um, but if money is tight, if you're starting out, you've got to shop the market. Yeah, and just realizing that cheap isn't always better no. either. No. Well, it's, it's funny. The same as anything. Have really, you found, it? like, you know, with all these online insurers, Trent, mm. like, I did some cost comparisons. They'll advertise, oh, we're $900 cheaper than the average or whatever. When you do a like-for-like, nrmaverseonline.com.au, add back all the windscreen hire car, Mm -hmm. it was $100 difference. And I'm like, you know what, not going there. At best, the same for green slips. I've found uh, almost categorically that NRMA is cheaper for green slips for me on just about every car and motorcycle I've ever had to register. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So always shop around. So let's talk about, and I know that you do a lot of new car reviews. Mm -hmm. So let's rewind you're in your job five years ago. Mm. So I want to talk about maybe secondhand. Yeah, yeah. And the concepts of buying dealership versus private. Uh, let's discuss that. Okay. So for us with secondhand cars, we always say, and we get asked this on the radio show we do a lot, we always say make sure the car has a full service history and if possible, at a dealer. So let's say you're buying a Ford. If it's got... A service history with Ford of X, you know, it doesn't matter what city you live in. If it's been taken to Ford, full service history, zero risk. And in fact, you might have more bargaining power secondhand than you do um, private, uh, sorry, through a dealer. Uh, Dealers are good though as well because they often have them as um, fully approved secondhand vehicles with, you know, three months warranty or a warranty of some kind. But for me, the key is always... um, a full service history with the manufacturer. And then, of course, the other stuff, the, the simple stuff. If you've got the cash, go there and take the cash with you. If you intend on spending 15 grand and you've got 15 grand, take it with you. Wave it in the guy's face and go, yeah. mate, you've got 18 grand on the car. Here's 15. You can wave goodbye to it if I leave now. And believe me, they want to sell cars. Yeah. Yeah. You know, So especially dealers, but also private sellers want to sell cars. So do that as well. Um, and don't be afraid of buying a second-hand car by any means because modern cars are pretty good. And if they've been serviced and maintained, there's not too many skeletons in the closet. Yeah. I, I think a, a couple of what you've, you've touched on, but don't be afraid. Like you're about to spend 10, 15, 20 it's grand. It's a lot of money. Don't be afraid to go to Redbook, for example. I did this. Yeah, Redbook's a good resource. And have a look at what... So redbook.com.au, what it is, they list every car... And it will tell you a range mm. of price Based trade in, yeah. which yeah. is wholesale cost yep. versus private. Correct. Okay. Yep. Now, you're spending all this money. If you get to the point where it's like, I know I want X car, spend $260 and get a pre-purchase inspection. Yep. Now, 
When this episode goes up, someone in the Facebook group just put up and remind me to put it up there. I'll put up an inspection report that I did on a car in Coffs Harbour mm-hmm. because I wanted to, you know, look at it. Well, you couldn't see it yourself. And I couldn't go, you? I couldn't yeah. be bothered. And I wasn't going to go up there and, you know, play the game if it was a heap of crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, a lot of those reports are pretty templated, but you just want to know if the mechanic sees that there's a heap of friggin' oil coming out of yeah, the CV joint. Issues. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, any glaring so, issues, exactly. You know, a lot of them, there's going to be disclaimers out to Wazoo that they're not responsible, but, mm. you know, if it's a 10-year-old car, it's going to be 10 years old, people. <laughs> like, yeah, 100%. And the other thing I'd say as well is um, if you're looking at two vehicles, say your, your budget's, I don't know, $10,000, for example, and you're looking at a vehicle that's $9,500 and it's got 120,000 kilometres on it. And you're looking at a vehicle that's 11,000 and it's got 70,000 Ks on it. Yeah. Try to stretch yourself to the one with less kilometres because you're buying yourself time. Yeah. You know, if a car's got a 500,000 kilometre lifespan and you're looking at 150 versus 100,000 Ks, you're buying yourself 50,000 kilometres if you buy the one with the lower kilometres. I always, I've got, if you Google Glenn James how much to spend on a car, it'll be the first hit. I usually say... (laughs) Because it's the only one. (laughs) Shut up. Shut up. You shut up and you shut up. I was just laughing at him. You're a guest here, I am a guest. Sorry, my apologies. (laughs) I always say the sweet spot, if you want to buy a quote-unquote new... Within four years old, yep. you're around 60,000 Ks. Absolutely. That's generally your sweet spot. Yep. Now, I know there's going to be people listening who you know, don't have two cents to scratch together at the moment and they need a cheap car. But if you do have some runs on the board financially and you do need an upgrade, a new car, that's going to be your sweet spot. Now, another thing that you need to do as well, and you can get uh, a Carfax report and it's all part of Red Book and all that crap. Um, it's $29. The pre-purchase inspection that I did for $260 included this report. Mm. It will tell you if the car is stolen. Has ever been stolen. Has ever been stolen. Has ever been written off. Mm -hmm. Or if there's finance on the car. Now, the important thing to know, and this is probably a big deal when buying privately, is I'll give you an example, John, and to everyone out there listening. If you went to buy a car that was worth $10,000, for example, and that person got a car loan, the reason a car loan interest rate is cheaper is because they attach the finance to the asset and they call it encumbered. Not the person, yeah. Not the person. Mm. So that means it's lower because they've got higher chance of getting the money back and less risk for them. So if you went and bought a $10,000 car privately gave them 10 grand cash without doing a car report. Mm. If in a year's time, the person you bought it off still hadn't paid off the car loan and sold it, transferred the rego papers to you, that car loan bank or whatever has legal right to come and repo the car. Yeah, it's not good. And it's sell not it. good if there's money owing on yeah. it. Yeah, so that's the number one thing when buying privately. Sure I, I had a, a good friend of mine, um, young bloke actually, Nick is 21, I think he is, and he yep. um, he has he saved a bunch of money. I think he bought a forty-five dollars or $50,000 car. He worked you know, a bunch of different jobs, saved all his cash. Yep. This was all he ever wanted. Yeah. When he did the report that Glenn's talking about... Um, was he found out that the car had finance on it. So yeah. he said to the guy, 
So say the car was 50 grand yeah. and it still had 30 grand on it. He said to the guy, I'm going to put give a check to the finance company for 30,000 and you're only going to see 20. Mm. And they negotiated that deal and the guy said, "Yep, fine, absolutely no problem." Yeah. You don't want that to happen without you being aware of it, no. which is what you're talking yeah. about. Totally. I think the key what we're saying is you've got to have the resources and knowledge to be able to know what questions to ask when mm. it comes to transact. I mean, most of the cars I've bought over time have been private as opposed to dealership. Yep. But like the, the simple trick of going on the last day of the month to the dealership yeah. because he wants to... Wants to get something out the door, Gets yeah. his extra um, yeah. before the new yeah, month starts. Absolutely. An easy one, isn't it? Mm, so it is, absolutely. tips and tricks. So another thing, people want to know how much to spend on a car. I generally say as little as possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, but yeah, the best car you can get for as least least amount of money. Yeah. There's some guides out there. So people say three months worth of gross income i generally say as a guide you do not want i'll make a number up for john so john and amy you know great family good people or as trump would say great people Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) you guys as a family you both work and 60 grand each Mm. so as a household you earn 120k yeah as a rule of thumb i would not want john and amy to own more than 50 percent of their income in cars so it'd be a thirty grand car each, max. Sixty total, yeah. Yeah, you do not want. That's pretty high still, but it is. But that's a maximum. Yeah. Uh, actually, it might even be net online. Have a look at my car blog. The whole thing yeah. is, you just need some guidelines in place. Yeah. Yeah, and don't don't overspend. Don't get sucked into, you know, young first time buyers who are really trying to. You know, a car in Australia is more than just a way to get to work. We're very car centric. We love cars, right? And young people. It's easy to fall into that uh, trap of putting too much value in what the car says about you. Yeah. And a lot of people do that. So they yeah, want a sure. particular type of car because I want to look at you, mate, and mm. I want you to see me a certain way. It's why so many blokes are buying dual cab utes they don't need, mm. right? Um, so I, don't I've get... never known a tradesperson yep. who needs a brand new $80,000 ute. Do. None of the workers do. build better. No, none of the workers do. They're all driving old alloy tray back ones and vans, you know. But the, the thing is, don't fall into the trap of walking through a dealership, seeing all the flashing lights. You know, like Volkswagen at the moment, they've got this great deal on its 1% finance or 1.9% finance. Mm. Don't look at that and go, wow, that means I can spend 60 grand instead of 25 because the finance is so cheap. Yeah. It, it, especially when you're starting out, you just don't need to do anything silly. I think you start small. It's the same as buying a house. It's the yeah. same as your first holiday. You know, your first holiday, you're not going to go to Monaco and spend $5,000 a night in a hotel room mm. when you're 20 years old. You, you start yeah. out and you learn, you learn how to build on top of it. So don't, and don't feel like you're down in the dumps because you can't afford the best car in the world either because yeah. we've all got to start somewhere. No, I think that's a critical point, Trent. I think people get sucked into the fact that it's so easy to get car loans these days on the spot almost mm. within 24 hours yep. and say, well, okay, well, if they're giving it to me, I must be able to afford yeah. it. And I'll put a correction in there. You're right. It, I got confused. It is net take-home mm. income. So for both of you, 120K, you both had 80K net. Yeah. You wouldn't want more than 40K of stuff with right. motors in them. So you work the number after tax. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. I'm, I think, and there's the big discussion, Novated Lease or not, we're not getting into that this episode. There's other resources, ask the Facebook group. There's other episodes about that. But if you are doing finance, never, ever, ever do it more than four years. Okay. Yes. Ever. Yeah. I'm yeah. doing it five. I still disagree, but that's cool. You do you. <laughs> We're different humans. Yeah, we are. Mm. Where possible, put 
down a deposit. I say if you can put down 20% into your car at any time throughout, whether the car's a write-off or you have to sell it because the situation changes. You're in front of the game, You're you? never underwater yeah, in the car. Point. That's yeah. a really good point. I'm so, also not doing that either. No. <laughs> <laughs> but pre-framing, as cross. I said, it's another, mm. uh, it's another conversation when you're a business owner and you've got tax deductions, yeah, absolutely. Et so, yeah. But yeah. And this is the thing, Trent. With cars or money, nine times out of ten, we're lying in the bed that we make for ourselves. Yeah, of course we are. So if you want more financial stress in your life, buy an expensive car with finance. <laughs> <laughs> It'll yeah. give you that. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, as simple as that. As a standout, the, a vehicle is the most emotional uh, look at me. It is. Driven. Even more than your house because people don't see you driving your house around nah, every day, you know. Right. And and as we well, – one of my taglines I use on radio all the time is it's the second most expensive thing most of us will ever buy. Yeah. You know, and it's not to be – Is the first one a bride? <laughs> Mate, I'm not married. I'm 43 and I'm not married. <laughs> first so, one. Yeah, Actually, wait, wait. We're, the we're, second one's a divorce. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I sh- I, do I need to edit that out? Is that bad? It was a joke, everyone. <laughs> It was a joke. <laughs> Some women are out there thinking, hang on, the husband was pretty expensive. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what I was about to say. You, you, Usually you can... he's more expensive because yeah. he buys cars. Yeah, that's yeah exactly. exactly. Right. Yeah. Sorry, everyone. If you're still listening now, you're probably a bit of a, you already get us. You haven't turned off that much. All right. So what should I look for when purchasing my first car? Look, I think just to try to get through it as quickly as possible, a lot of what you've just said already, you guys have spoken about the financing, the money, the insurance, all that kind of thing. When you go, if you're buying it from a dealer, see if you can factor in other stuff like at the running and repair costs. So for example, if your car's 25 grand and they say, we've got this great package that will cover all your servicing for the first five years for $5,000, bundle it in, do it. Because I can tell you, now when you take the car into service and all of a sudden you've got a 500 600 700 bill you didn't expect yeah that can hurt if you haven't prepared for it but what i think you should be looking for is to get the lowest kilometers get the safest car you can buy and just make sure you you, you said it before mate just make sure you don't extend yourself doesn't I, mean you have to get a volvo though does it no it doesn't absolutely not no no <laughs> definitely I, not I, I most would, cars are pretty safe now <laughs> i i would say as well and speaking of volvos i will put that report in the facebook group i think i mentioned it before just so you can see mm. i was looking at a volvo polster s60 oh okay yeah interesting choice uh, yeah good it. car not only looked at he bought it. no no i didn't buy that i just got There's the s60 one. here <laughs> on that linda i don't know your circumstances and i think anyone buying their first car I'd be looking under ten grand with cash, straight great, up. Great advice. That's what I did. Yeah, straight up. Absolutely, great advice. If you can save five grand, yep. buy a five grand beater, then save some more, sell it, and then buy the next one with cash. Try and not get into the debt cycle when you're first out of the gate. And the yep. other thing to keep in mind, guys, too, is what you think you want when you're young and you're buying your first, second vehicle. And what you actually want yeah. could be two vastly different things. Like I've, I've test driven so many cars now that I understand if I buy car X, it's rubbish at all these things. And I have to accept that because I want it to do one thing. Like, for example, if I want a four-wheel drive that goes off-road properly, it's rubbish everywhere else, yeah, but it goes right. off-road really well. Yeah. So you might see the new Suzuki Jimny, which for your listeners is a little four-wheel drive. It looks amazing. It's funky. It's really retro. It's pretty much rubbish everywhere except off-road. <laughs> so you might look at it and go, that's what I want to spend my 25 grand on. And then you go and do what you said, which is borrow money, get finance, spend your 25 grand, drive it for a week and go, why did I do this? Yeah. You're looking at your, your next door neighbor or your mate from uni or whatever driving a Toyota Corolla and you're thinking, I'd rather be in that. 
because I need a small hatchback. Yeah. So yeah, that that's a lot safer way of doing it because you can buy the car and go, whoops, made the wrong decision and sell it again. Yeah, but I would I would think that. Ninety percent of people would buy cars not on practicality, but oh, how they look in Australia. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are we are car enthusiasts in Australia. We mm. don't buy them as a conveyance. Yeah. Absolutely, they're, they're they're an emotional purchase. They're because of what they say about us, or how we feel when we drive yeah. it, or what it looks like. Hundred percent. So on that first car, Uncle Glenn's advice would be cheap as possible with cash. Yep. I okay. Like it. Now. That leads on to another question that was in the group and there was a few people commenting and I'm not going to open their names, but I said I would explain my position more. We get car fever, we get emotional, we do dumb things. I'll give you an example and it's about safety, okay? Absolutely, I want everyone to have the safest car they can afford. 100%. Okay? The biggest fallacy I see and hear is we're pregnant, we've got to buy a brand new car because it's safest. You can't buy a car because of that, because your logic is BS. Because if you buy a car based on that, that's brand new, every single year, you have to buy the new model. Correct. So that's a fallacy. Yes. And people, they go and buy these brand new cars because they're the safest with debt and they can't afford it. And mum or dad's back out working part time Mm. just to pay the freaking car payment. Mm. So it is absolutely a fallacy. Now, there was a comment in there about don't just go and buy a cheap reliable Japanese car, buy something that's safe. To be honest, I'm going out on a limb. A Japanese Corolla within the last 10 years is probably pretty safe. Yeah. Oh, mate, look at Subaru, for example. Every car they've sold in Australia in the last, it'd be 10 years now as a five-star NCAP safety-rated yeah. car. Yeah. yeah. Every like, car. I want that green Bentley that's on the car Instagram cars advice. Mm. I want that because it looks bloody do, safe. Actually, yeah. I can't afford it. (laughs) I don't have $500,000 in cash laying around. No, neither do I. So, I, and there's people there that they were in a car accident and someone died. I totally get that. Life is full of risks. We've got to be pragmatic, not have car fever, and do dumb things. That's right. Based on an emotional thing. Speaking of risks and safety, I was in the passenger seat of your car about a month ago. It was high risk, and I didn't feel safe <laughs> when you were sideways around. And it's got nothing to do with the car. Yeah, yeah, it's the driver, right. exactly. So, I don't know. Do you want to talk to the whole safety thing? Yeah, and look, the, like- the best thing you can do is use ANCAP as a resource. So, A-N-C-A-P, ANCAP. Um, it's the Australasian New Car Assessment Program, I think it stands for. They do, all, they do all the crash testing, right? So, go to ancap.com.au and type in, if you're looking at buying a 2015 Toyota Corolla, put all that data in and it'll tell you what the rating of that car was when it was new. So if it was a five-star rated car when it was new, you're already off on the right foot, okay? The problem with the safety ratings is those of us that work in the industry, like I do, we struggle to understand it, let alone if you're a lay person. So it's not actually that easy to understand. I'll give you an example. There was a particular type of Kia, exactly the same car. The middle grade, so the top grade got a five-star safety rating. The middle grade got a four-star safety rating because it was missing a warning light for the middle seat belt in the back row. So structurally, the car was identical. Wow. So if you ran it into a tree at 60 kilometers an hour, both cars, and you're two people in the car, exactly the same outcome. Structurally, no problem. There are little sort of intricacies within the ruling that are like that. So sometimes when a car gets four stars, it's not structurally unsound if a car has one two or three stars it starts to get to the point where it's structurally unsound if it's five it's about the best you can get 
at yeah. the moment. So, yeah, you can go to NCAP and find that out. That's not a problem. Yeah, so I just don't want people to borrow more money than they need to on the safety no, fallacy. You, you don't want to put them in. And, and realistically, any five-star, and I'm saying JAPCAR because we'll get into servicing and maintenance, right? Hmm. Generally speaking, it's cheaper to get a new radiator for a Toyota than for an Audi. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's Go, generally going the case, out yeah. on a limb here, yeah, people. Yeah, that's like, generally the case. <laughs> and actually, I'm just on the NCAP website as we speak, and the Toyota Prado mm-hmm. it, from 2013 onwards has the same safety rating. Correct. So that's six years old, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because they haven't um, changed the car dramat- dramatically. Yeah. Yep. So it's a five star rating from 2013 onwards. Mm-hmm. So you don't need the 2019 right. model. No. Not necessarily. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. Just take risks in life. If you want to get something safe and older, get a Volvo. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the thing. Like, (laughs) they invented the freaking airbag. You want to be safe. (laughs) Any car from a you know the last ten years that that was uh, from a major manufacturer will have been safe when it was released. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. It's like we're getting to the point where above the line is good enough. Mm. And most cars are above the line good enough. Let's go to another question. Melissa asks, unleaded 91 versus unleaded 98. Is the extra money worth it? Absolutely. Really? Even if I've got a 12-year-old crap box? Uh, Generally speaking, yes. I never put E10 in anything. No, neither do I. Do not ever put E10 in any car, even if it says it can take it. Always, yeah, always stump up for 95 if you can afford it. What you will notice with 98 is without, again, without boring everybody to death, it burns cleaner, it burns more efficiently. Um, So it's a better option to put in a car over the longer period. So if you're going to own your car for five, six, seven, eight years, yeah, the better fuel you put in, the better. Old school 91 that's not E10 is still okay. There's nothing wrong with it, but 95 or 98 is better. Sweet. Michelle asks, and she may have been crossing a wires here, is roadside assistance worth it? Or just have emergency fund for the off chance. Well, if you've got ten thousand dollars in your emergency fund and you break down on the side of the road, it's not going to help you. Not going to get you off that country road at exactly. two yeah. o'clock in the yeah. morning. So, you know, there's something really interesting here, and and I used to work at the NRMA, so I have no axe to grind. But the reason the motoring clubs around Australia are diversifying so much is. Stop and think how many times you see a new car broken down yeah. on the side of the yeah. road. They don't anymore. They don't actually break down that much. So unless your car is really old, like some of my old junkers, unless it's really old, you really don't need roadside yeah. assistance. Or unless you're me. And you, okay, why do you have a way of breaking cars? <laughs> I get lazy and can't. I get lazy and can't be bothered fueling up, and I run out of fuel oh, on the side that, of the road. You know, there's a gauge there that actually yeah. it tells you. Oh, and so uh, it tells uh, you. So the, the the orange light. Yeah, that's means right. Fuel up. Fuel up. That's right. Not, that doesn't mean keep driving. And anything oh, later than five years ago probably beeps at you as well. Yeah, exactly. So look, I tell you where I've used it twice in the last six months. You know, you know one example really? where the roadside assistance really does come into play. Is a flat battery? Yes. Because batteries are big and heavy and annoying and you've often got to go somewhere to get one. So that could be a pain uh, if you don't have roadside or a flat tyre in the middle of nowhere. And if you've got one of these new cars that doesn't have a spare or it's got a... Yeah, I'm putting my hands hand up. Yeah, so that, a, that would be one of my criteria for going and buying your first car. Full-size Make spare. sure it's got a full-size spare. Yeah, me too, mate. And I agree. number two, make sure you know how to change it. Exactly. Yep. It was funny. Like I, the Volvo that I've got, doesn't have a spare, popped a, because I got it second hand mm. and the tyres all rubbish. And I was saying to someone the Friday before, 
that oh, I've got, I'm just too lazy. I've got to get new tyres. That Sunday mm-hmm. it popped like on a the Sunday war. Of all days. Yeah, so I had to park it in Newcastle. Yeah. Borrow a friend's car, go back to the coast, then get roadside to tow it to a tight. Like it's just mm. a debacle. It is a debacle. But I'm just looking here. NRMA roadside, basically $113 a year. It's yeah. cheap. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, why wouldn't you? Exactly. Um, yep. So it's good if you do that or if you're like me and run out of fuel because you're lazy. And to answer our question, was it Michelle, did you say? Yes. Yeah. Look, Michelle, the other thing too is your, your you know, emergency fund's a great idea if your engine blows up or your gearbox blows up or you need four new tyres you weren't expecting or whatever. That's great. The problem is that emergency fund, as you said before, mate, won't get you off the side of the road at two no. o'clock in the morning. And often it's something that's not going to require tens of thousands of dollars to fix. You know, sometimes when cars break down, it's a $20 part or something. It is minor. So, yeah, that 113 bucks is a good investment. Sweet. What we're going to do, we're going to end the episode right there right now and we'll just, if you've got 10 more minutes... Yeah, mate, I've got 10 minutes. We'll, uh, we'll come back and do a little bonus episode because we just want to keep these episodes kind of under the hour. But we'll come back and do another My Millennial Answers. And we've got one, two, three, four. There's about six questions that we're going to answer. And thanks for coming on. You can find Trent at Car Advice on Instagram. Yeah, on Instagram, Trent Nikolic, N-I-K-O-L-I-C on Instagram. Just follow me there. Sweet. See what I'm driving and when. Yeah, love it. (laughs) Thanks, Trent. No worries. Thanks Thanks for coming in. See you, mate. Bye. If you're after personal financial advice, this podcast is not for you. But if you do want a financial advisor or mortgage broker to talk with about your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'll put you in touch with one of our trusted professionals. If you're looking for a super fund that puts its members' interests above all else, choose a super performer, Sun Super. With low fees, strong investment returns, and great member services, Sun Super is Super Ratings 2020 Fund of the Year and has also been awarded by Money Magazine, CanStar, and Finder. Find out more about Sun Super at sunsuper.com.au forward slash choose. You can join Sun Super online in under five minutes. My Millennial Money supports A21. A21 is a non-profit organisation that exists to abolish slavery everywhere. These guys rescue real people from human trafficking across the world. If you want to learn more about how you can contribute to the fight against human trafficking, check out a21.org forward slash au. Thanks to Jess Knaus, executive producer, Chris Burke, sound engineer, Laura from La La Social Club, and me, Asha. Uh, Anyway, make sure you stay connected via our Instagram, our free Facebook group, or if you want to turn it up a notch and be on the inside of the show, become a member of M3 Private. For further information about what's going on, check out the links in the show notes. What's in your car collection? So I have a 2005 Smart 4.2. Because I went to Europe, my family's Italian, I spend a bit of time overseas, I see them everywhere and I just got besotted with them and they're just like tiny little midget things, but I love them, I've got one of them. I have a 1960 Fiat 600, which is a little old, um, again, an Italian car, that one. I've got a 1966 Chevy C10 pickup, which is an American truck that I'm currently doing a whole bunch of stuff to. So the idea with that is that it'll be like a brand new V8 Commodore underneath, mm. but it looks like a knockabout old truck. Uh, I'm forgetting something, I think. 
Oh yeah, I had until yesterday. I had a 1985 Ford Spectron van that oh, I wow. found that I bought just because my mate found it. Oh, I've forgotten one other car too. Um, that I that I my mate found and said, "You've got to buy this. It's cheap. I can't add another car to my collection." And I just went, "Yep, I'll buy it." I've also got a 1970 Volkswagen Combi yeah, van, wow. and I've had a bunch of old Combis and Beetles over the years, but uh, that one will probably be sold. Then I've got. Um, two 1961 Vespers. I've got a 2009 Aprilia sports oh, bike. Nice. And I've got a 2013 Harley Davidson Road King. Oh, wow. A big touring bike, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then in my dad's shed, I've also got a 1953 Vespa, which is really, really, really old and just like a collectible kind of thing that you just do up and you put it on a wall because mm-hmm. they're too slow and clunky to actually ride. Yeah. The 61 Vespa is pretty cool. You can ride them. I ride them. They're registered. They're not fast. Yeah. But the 53 is just too slow. Mm. Oh, that's... um. And so you're daily. You can just borrow one from yeah, any I'm, of the I'm car always people. In, yeah, I'm always in new cars at work. So I don't need a new car because I'm always in them. How do I become a, a car editor like yourself? <laughs> Mate, the problem is there's no jobs. You know, yeah. I, it, that's the thing. It's such a specialist niche thing, thing in Australia. Such a totally. niche thing. And the industry has, um, it's shrunk so much. So when Channel 9 bought car advice, so my boss now effectively is Channel 9. And when they bought Car Advice, they also bought Fairfax, which brought drive.com.au as well. So we are Car Advice and Drive. So I'm actually the managing editor of Car Advice and Drive, right. which is drive.com.au and the print section in the Herald and the Age and all that stuff. So once upon a time, they were two separate entities with two separate lots of staff. Now it's one. So there's probably, I don't know, there might be oh, probably less than 30 motoring journalists in Australia. Wow. Do you want to say. ever do a piece on like, buying a, your first car or something. You'd love to. With My Millennial Money or love something. Love to. Whenever right. you want me yeah. back, I'll be here. No, but no, I mean like, can I guest write for your column or something? <laughs> oh, you want a job. I thought you wanted to back I know, just a volunteer. Podcast. I want you back here. Let but... me have a think about it. I'm very, I've got very exacting standards yeah. from, from the staff. Yeah, you don't want me then. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to give everyone's, so I put a video up the other day on the Facebook group a couple of months now when you listen to this about my new car and everyone wanted an update. Um, I, I've still got the Volvo S60 mm-hmm. and it's, um, it's the T6 and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun, Yep. but the, I've, I got rid of the Lexus at the end of last year and I've, I've been eyeing off Lexus again mm-hmm. and I actually just bought a 2015 RC350 F Sport. Nice car. Lovely car. Yeah. Just, so I, for everyone at home, like I went to... Redbook and just got a bit of, and I've been looking at them and saving them in, you know, the car mm. sale apps and all yep. that. Yep. And the private sale price said the lowest would be 38K. So the guy had it on for 37, mm-hmm. 36.9. And I rocked up and I said, Oh, how much would you take? And, he, and I, this was private, everyone. And he said 36 and a half. Mm-hmm. And I said, Well, I got 35. Good move. If you want it. Really good move. And, but there's still some on car sales for 45 and 43. Mm. So I stole it almost. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that's a lot of car for the money. Totally. And it's got the disgusting red leather. Yeah, and yeah. It's just it's all good. beautiful. It's all good. And he had black aftermarket rims on there with good tires. And he said, I've also got the brand new rims if you want them as well. <laughs> the I said, absolutely. Ones. Yeah, I'll take So them. I put the factory ones back on there. There's $1,500 worth of rubber. Mm. 
Um, of course there is, yeah. So that's what I'm driving now, everyone. Um, it's a lot of fun. Mm. I've decided to keep the Volvo as well because the Lexus is a pain in the ass because it's so bloody low. Mm. Um, but back to your point uh, the earlier in the episode with the test driving, Yeah, I've got some metal grates at the end of my driveway. I've got to get a new metal plate because, you because the Lexus is too even low. too low. Sure, happens so, a lot. We talked about our stuff to consider. There was a question. I don't think we got to it. Um, out of the blue expenses when buying a car. Mm-hmm. So for me, the first one was, and I totally forgot about this. I went to the, in New South Wales, it's the service New South Wales or RMS. Mm. Changed the regal over. It was freaking $1,000. Yeah. So that's Very number expensive. one, the stamp duty when yeah. transferring a car. Yep. So you've got to look after that. So that, I almost fell off the chair. Yeah, like, you've got to have that put aside. thousand freaking dollars. Are you kidding I me? I paid 35 for the car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that was there. Yep. Um, the second thing as well, and I'm in a fortunate enough position not to need to pinch my pennies as mm. much as maybe other people. The other thing as well, jumped on to insure the bastard. Oh, yes. Two and a half grand. Oh, and well, Welcome to premium vehicle ownership. Uh, it's a pain in the ass. It is. And a tip for young players, the no-claim bonus protection and discounts, particularly with NRMA, it's not at Glenn James level, it's a policy level. Correct. So I had to pay to get the 60% no-claim bonus That's on right. this policy. That's right. Because I want to keep the Volvo as my daily. And like I'm in the city today, I live mm. on the Central Coast. Mm. I'm not parking the Lexus QBB car yeah. park to get hit and smashed yeah. and go down the ramp. So Exactly. Um, so that's what I'm doing, everyone. And because I put it up, and some people had a bit of a go at me, like, oh, yeah, I'm not getting blah, 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 like all the crap. Mm, all the usual stuff. You can't compare your own financial situation to someone else's. No, definitely not. So, for complete disclosure, I've got $45,000 worth of car now because the, the Volvo is only worth, I paid thirteen for it, mm. and I've got a good deal for that. Mm. Um, I've only got $45,000 worth of car in total which is well under 50% of my net take-home income. Yeah, absolutely. And I pay cash for them. Yep, so you own them. So I own them. Yep. Pure It's toy. a way to do it if you can. Totally. Yep. And then the third out-of-pocket expense with the stuff I didn't know, I went to the metal shop to order a new plate for the front of the driveway, $1,200. <laughs> so... Get a new driveway. Oh, so... Yeah, that adds up. But yeah, the, the Lex, it was funny, the Volvo being all-wheel drive... Mm. Turning circle the size of Texas. Yeah, exactly. It's um, getting back into the Lexus mm. and particularly with all-wheel steer, yeah. uh, the turning Makes circle's great. Difference. Yeah, turn on 10 cent piece. So good. Mm-hmm. So, but um, yeah, my next step is to um, probably get into a DB9. <laughs> it's just a little step up, isn't it? Well, yeah, it is and it isn't. I mean... James Bond. Well, but this is the thing. Like I was looking at um, 0910 mm. DB9s 110, 120 grand. And I talk about this on the show all the time, scratching the itch. Mm. I scratched that itch with 35 grand. Yeah, of course you did. So it's about, and I didn't have car fever. I paid cash. I was strategic. Yep. And it's what I, anything stupid. I was doing what I enjoy and that's enjoying my cars. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a bit of an update for everyone who's a regular listener. I've got the new Lexus. Well, it's four years old, still smells brand new and all that. It's, um, and the reason why I went Lexus to start with, and this is for everyone who's interested in luxury cars, off the bat, they're 20 grand cheaper across the, I reckon across the the line or broad statement than Euros. Mm. So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. At and least. they're probably just as refined. Yeah, yeah. And it's a Toyota. Yeah. 
So very good car. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for uh, coming in today. Mate, great it was to really be cool. here. But no, yeah, no, it's great to be we'll here. We'll get really you back because, um, or we might even get you. I'll I'll come down one evening to the office and we might do a live Q and A in the Facebook group because yeah. there's over six thousand of us hanging out there now. Awesome. And that'd um, be great. We could do it in the Car Advice Garage or something. Yeah. Yeah, and as well as because you know, I haven't done this. We have had this podcast for eighteen months and I've never done an episode on cars. Right. But they're in everyone's life. Mm, of course they are. So it's just yep. crazy. Anytime, so. mate. Great to be with you. No worries. All right. Appreciate it, Trent. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.